Well, if I'd have known all of you were coming, I might have prepared something. <laughs> I'm glad that you're here, and uh, we're gonna let me let me put a ground rule or two out here for us as we begin. Okay, I really want these sessions to be a little more interactive than what a typical sermon is, and so I'm gonna ask you some pointed questions, and just realize that we have about 30 minutes, maybe 35, and so we're gonna try to stay kind of focused in as much as we can, and then if we need to, we can expand it out from that. So tonight's the first first run uh, through this with this many people in one room. I love it. I'm glad that you're here, and uh, I want to honor your time. So we'll kind of do some back and forth, which means I need somebody to write on the board while I'm talking here in the very first part of it, because I'm going to ask you for some input, and I don't want to be over there writing while I'm trying to guide the discussion, okay? So shall we do this like the military where I'll volunteer somebody or does somebody want to be the writer? And it doesn't have to be, you know, great penmanship or anything like that. You don't get grade for this. You don't, you don't get extra credit in heaven either. So, all right? <laughs> all right, there you go. All right, so he's going to get his writing hand warmed up and we'll get to that in just a second. But let me tell you about a friend of mine as we get started. Um, actually, this guy was on staff at a church where I served at one point. Uh, we hired him while I was there at that church. And one of the things that was part of his background that we discovered as we started the process of talking to him was that he had a bankruptcy in his background. And uh, so we began to talk to him about that. He was embarrassed about it. And as we talked to him about it, tried to figure out what was going on, is, you know, is this a guy that just didn't pay his bills or whether some extenuating circumstances. And as it turns out, he had a son who was born with all kinds of medical problems from day one, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And the, six, uh, the first five or six years of that little boy's life, he was in all kinds of hospitals and going through multiple surgeries and just kind of almost like rebuilding him from the inside out. And they had well over a million dollars worth of medical bills. There was just no way they were going to do it. And so they were given... The, uh, the council that they should go in for that kind of bankruptcy. I don't know bankruptcy stuff, but uh, I, I know that it was an ongoing struggle for him. It was one of those things that just seemed to shackle him in every part of his life. It was embarrassing for him when we had the discussion about bringing him on staff. It was embarrassing for him when it came time for him to have to buy a new vehicle because somebody ran a stop sign and hit him and totaled his car. It was embarrassing for him when he tried to uh, find lodging and housing for his family. It was just one of those things. Even though he was paying out the settlement, it was one of those things he never got it out from under. It was always there. Even with his job, uh, it always was there just weighing him down. So welcome to the first beatitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, We're going to be looking into the Beatitudes, and the first one is in Matthew 5, verse 3, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. Actually, it may be a little bit before we get right to it. Um, But this idea, well, here's the title of tonight's uh, Bible study. Congratulations. Anybody know where I got that? Yes. Just seeing if you were there this morning or listening at least. Uh, Congratulations, you're broke. The first Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. We're going to read all of them here in just a moment. Um, But I just want you to know, there's more here than meets the eye when we get into these Beatitudes. As we dig our way through here over the next eight or nine weeks, however long it is until we break for Thanksgiving, 
We'll take one each week, and we're going to unpack it. And we're going to get down, as one of my uh, early mentors said to me, when you go to do Bible study, you ought to just get down in there and waller around in it. Does that communicate? you understand? Waller? <laughs> waller is, that's a Snyder term. from. <laughs> <laughs> Dig a little deeper. That's right. That's a musician's term there. So, All right, so let's do this. I want to read through here, but as I read this, I want you to start doing some, uh, some observation practice, okay? Uh, a few weeks ago when we were in this Wednesday night program, I gave you what I believe is, is a real good practical working model for doing Bible study. And part of that is designed to kind of make us focus in on the text. And so we're going to do this a little bit of audience participation deal. That's why our scribe over here is going to take what you're saying as quickly as he can get it on the board. We'll get it on the board and we'll walk through it. Okay, a little analysis by observation of the text. So you keep that in mind as I read through these. Matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 3. And Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, what did you see that's tied to structure? Okay, not everybody at once. Okay, very good. So you can write however you want to try to capture what they say works for me. And here's what I'm going to do. The ones that I have, the ones that I have in my notes, we're going to come back and talk about. All right. So, all right. So, the question is, what do you see structurally? Tell me one more time what you said. It repeats back to the first, gives the introduction. Okay. And it gives a summary of the. All right. The first and the last repeat on the back side of it. Yeah. Right. Okay. What else do you see? It comes full circle. Okay. Good deal. You can write that down. What else do you see? I'm oh, sorry. You can be blessed no matter what you're going through. Okay. We'll accept that. Are we going too fast for it? Yeah. try to be too neat. What else? There's a character trait and the result. Perfect. Okay, good. Character trait with a result. Anybody else? Okay, there's a promise attached. Not going to be a bed of roses. Okay. I thought somebody might say amen to that. But, uh. All right, let me ask you a few. All right, let me, let's guide this a little bit. How many Beatitudes are there? How many? How many have said at least one? No, no, that's a trick question. Nine. Nine? Nine. Okay, now wait a minute. We have some eights and we have some nines. That's because we're Baptists and everybody gets a 
actually, let me go ahead and deal with that one because that's an easy one. Uh, scholars say that there may be eight and there may be nine. So if you said either one of those, then you're in good company. <laughs> All right, now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue as we go through this, argue meaning I'm going to take the position, all right? I'm not interested in fighting with anybody. Uh, but I'm going to argue that there are eight, okay? Now, having said that, let me ask it this way. How many times does he use the word blessed here? Nine. That's nine. nine, all right? Nine. That's nine. When we get to the last one, uh, which I think is the eighth one, those are combined. All right, and I'll explain that more when we get to that one. We just don't have time to do that tonight. But I believe that there are eight Beatitudes. That will come a little more clear for you a little bit uh, tonight, I think. Uh, we'll explain the nine and eight as we go forward. Okay? What else do you see? Common word in any of those? Blessed, yeah, blessed. blessed is in every yeah, one of them. There's an equality, a balance, like in math. Okay. Blessed, equal, and those things. Okay, it's a great way to say that. Like in math, there's there's this almost like an equation there, right? Blessed equals, and then what do you see? There's this, I think the way I said it this morning was the front half, there's a condition. And the back half is where the promise is, right? That's consistent all the way through these. All right, that's good observation. What else do you see? Yes, ma'am. One of the conditions are... Things that in our worldly state would be enjoyable. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's true. Yeah, that's really good. Yes, sir. So until you get to the last one, he speaks of those and they. Uh, but when you get to the last one, he speaks directly to people's individual suffering yeah. on behalf of him. Yeah. Blessed are you when you're persecuted, right? right? Yes, very good. Good observation. Yes, ma'am. Uh, the first part is more earth earthbound, and the second part is spiritual-bound, Okay. or heavenly-bound. Okay. That's good. Let me get all grammatical on you. What do you see about the verb tenses? Same. Present. Are. Are? All right. Are all of, are? All of them are? Will be. Okay. Observation analysis, right? So what do you see on verb tenses? And I think the answer to that will be you'll find that, uh, that on the first one and the last one, what are the verb tenses? Present, past, future, what? Present. Present, all right? First and last are present. What about the numbers two through seven? Those are future. Why? And that's your where you go. That's what you're supposed to tell us, right? <laughs> okay, so let me go ahead and try to tie that one off real quickly. And then we'll be dealing with that one as we go forward. But one of the things that I talked about this morning, and, uh, you know, in, in some ways I need to apologize because we're trying to hit that at 30,000 feet at 400 miles an hour to try to put all that stuff in there, uh, knowing that we've come in here and unpack a lot of it. But the reason you have the first one and the last one with the same promise for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? Am I saying that right? Yes. All right? Those are the same statement. Not the same on the front side. The condition's not the same, but the promise is the same. And those two are in the same verb tense, while all the other ones in between are in future verb tense. That's that, uh, that rhetorical device that I told you this morning that Jesus used. Right? It's a, it's a, uh, a verbal trigger 
for people to hear. This is different, okay? This is not just laying out a bunch of stuff where it's all equal and everything's the same. Jesus is being very targeted and very specific in what he says. And so what you find is the first one and the last one, the promise is the same, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything else on the promise side, all those that are listed as future, are all com uh, comprehensive to what it means to be the kingdom of, or to have the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All of those other things are part of that. Okay? That's a device Jesus used there. Pretty smart preaching, if you ask me. My preaching professor probably would have given him extra points for that. <laughs> okay? What else do you see? That no matter what comes our way, we're going to be blessed by God. Okay? As long as we're believing in him. Okay? Him. All right? So let me stop this part of it for a minute, and let's kind of step into a couple of other things. One of the things that's not quite so obvious, although we've heard at least one in here that alluded to this, is, well, I mean, I almost hate to do this to you because I've been here now in my seventh week, and I know that I've said this many, many times already, all right? But uh, let's have somebody go, somebody that doesn't mind reading out loud, go to Mark chapter 12, and I want you to read verses 28 through 31. By the way, keep your place in Matthew because we will be back in just a little bit. Mark 12, 28 through 31. Somebody doesn't mind reading out loud. Jump on it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, please. 28 through 31. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Okay. Heard that before? Yes. You've been listening to me at all. You've heard it before, and you probably will some more. Now, here's why I bring this in at this point. The Beatitudes break precisely into two halves. I can't say precisely, precisely enough, all right? Because in the Greek language, the first four Beatitudes are written in 36 words, and the second four Beatitudes are written in 36 words. It is exact. And as we work our way through these, one of the things that we're going to find is that the first four deal with what Jesus said is the most important commandment. Which one is that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All right? That's the first four. The second four deal with the second great commandment that Jesus said, which is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Breaks precisely in the middle. Both of them split that way, okay? So one of them is dealing with our relationship with God, and the other one is dealing with our relationship with other people. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, therefore, <laughs> means that there is a spiritual connection with God, and there is a spiritual connection with 
people, and especially with the way we treat people. Of course we should expect that. When Jesus himself says these are the two most important commandments of all, if you really look at it, I hope that I've said that enough now that you'll begin to pay attention as you work your way through, not just the New Testament, but the whole Bible. You will find this continual drumbeat of you need to be in right relationship with God and you need to be in right relationship with people. People matter. We need to handle them well. We don't know how to handle them well unless we're in right relationship with God. So that's all part of these Beatitudes as we come to this. Now, there's one other element that is probably not quite so obvious with this, but I want to make sure that we get it out here, and then we'll spend the rest of the time we have in verse 3. <coughs> I believe this is another one of those things where I'm going to argue. Thank you, by the way. You can. Yeah. Yes, sir? <laughs> Let's have a round of applause for our. <laughs> That's the best I can do to pay you for that, but thank you for it. I appreciate it. Okay, so uh, one of the other positions that I'm going to take, and I'm going to argue for it pretty, pretty well. Uh, well, well is depending on what you think about it, I suppose, but I'm going I'm to make a hard argument for this, all right? And that is that we, we see this progression in the Beatitudes. If I was a brand new attender at First Baptist Church, and I had to go find my teenager on a Wednesday night, what would you tell me to do? Come with me. You would show me, okay? That's great, because y'all are great people, right? Let's say that you're not quite that nice, and you're just going to tell me how to get there. What would you tell me? Follow the smell of the food. Anybody know where the where our youth meet? Where upstairs? Third floor. On a ledge outside. We just line them up. <laughs> Third floor. Okay, so when we came to Bible Call, y'all took us up there. Some of these uh, pastor search committee members took me and Teresa upstairs. And I was thinking the further we went, the more I thought, if they abandon us up here, I'll <laughs> All right, and if we have no elevator, then how do you get there? You go up the stairs, three flights, right? It's the third floor. So I want you to visualize those stairs because I think that they become really a good analogy for us when we come to deal with the Beatitudes, right? If, if you're going to start on a journey, where do you begin? Where you are, right? You always start where you are. And in this particular case, we would have to start on the first floor, and we walk up, and sooner or later we get to the first step, and we have to physically step up on that, all right? And then after you do that one, there's another one, and another one, three floors worth of steps. You can't just start off in the middle of the stairway between the second and the third floor. You have to start at the bottom. You with me? Yes. All right, so that's the first beatitude. That puts us now into verse 3. Because what we're going to find as we work our way through this, remember, I've already said that the Beatitudes are in two distinct halves. One, of, one half deals with our relationship with God. The other half deals with our relationship with people because of our relationship with God. And you have to start on the first step. And the first step is this one that we find in verse 3. So somebody read that one for us. 
and then let's uh, let's do a few other things. I know that we've read it once already, but let's make sure it's drilled in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so what does poor in spirit mean? That's the question we have to ask first. Now, normally, if this was a word study that we were trying to do about a passage of Scripture, uh, and by the way, that's a great way to do personal Bible study, is to pause long enough while you're reading it to let the words that don't normally just, you know, I mean, you need to put some thought to it, uh, to, to let some of that thinking process go. Chew on those words a little bit. What does this mean? When we say poor in spirit, that's not a normal term. And so I would normally say to you, let's go look at these five or six or 50 different verses of Scripture where that word is used. Here's the problem with that. This word's not used anywhere else. Anywhere else in Jesus' time. Now one of the ways that scholars get to the word meanings and that kind of stuff is they'll find this term like this and they'll go find it in other places in Scripture and they'll let those parallel passages kind of weigh against one another. And we can get a pretty good idea on a lot of words what they mean by that. But this word's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And so when that happens, scholars often then will go to classical Greek, uh, some of the... Um, well, some of it's even in just the normal, what they've uncovered in uh, archaeology with, with business plates that they find or um, some of the writings of some of the philosophers or just secular Greek and all kinds of words. So they go out sometimes and they'll find it used somewhere else and they'll kind of pull it in and say, well, maybe that informs this a little bit. This word's not used anywhere else. In other words, Jesus is so genius that he creates his own word or his own phrase. Which makes it a little bit more difficult for us to get to the bottom of it. And so part of what I did this morning in this particular uh, vein of the whole thing was to say, okay, so um, how do we take this? What does it mean? How does it begin to kind of confront us in our day-to-day life? The poor in spirit at this particular point uh, has caused some discussion among scholars um, because it's, it's counterintuitive. It, it's... It's a term that doesn't fit our life very well. Not the term itself, but the way Jesus puts it all together. How often do you hear somebody say, congratulations, you're broke? <laughs> right? That's why I started with the story of my friend. Right? I would never say to him, congratulations on that bankruptcy. That was a great thing. Because he would probably smack me for that. There's nothing great about that in his life, I don't think. So it doesn't necessarily fit the way we think a lot of time. Let me give you a biblical example of what I'm talking about. Mark chapter 10 this time. Keep your place in Matthew 5, but let's go to Mark chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 46. Let me do this because I'm not sure where I want to stop yet. Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 46. And they, that is Jesus and his disciples, that little traveling group with him, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Let's stop for a second. What do you know about first century begging? It's the only way you can survive. All right? If somebody didn't take pity on him, if he didn't have family members who were taking care of him or whatever, 
He, he was just going to be sunk in life, right? He had nothing to offer as far as contributing to society. That's the picture that we get in that verse. Verse uh, 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why would he say that? This is one of those duh moments. Of course he would say that. Why would he say it to Jesus? Because Jesus is the son of David, or a descendant of David. Right. And he knew it. And he knew that Jesus was to God. That's right. And, and if you go back in Mark's gospel up to chapter 10, look at how many times Jesus has been out and about healing people. Right? Bartimaeus might be blind, but he's not stupid. And he recognizes that he hears this crowd coming, the people are talking, and you, you can just put yourself on a city street in one of those kind of scenes, and you can just hear that excitement that comes through. Oh, man, he's here. You know, what's he going to do now? And Bartimaeus jumps into the middle of that, and the church embraces him and says, Oh, man, which, well, come on in. Right? No, that's not what they say at all. Let's keep reading. Verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. There's a sermon in that. I'm having to decide if I want to preach it or not. <laughs> Bartimaeus cried out all the more, saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. And we know the rest of the story. I'm not going to take the time to read it right now. But he becomes now that picture for us that Jesus communicates when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. But you see, that doesn't, that doesn't drill. I mean, that, that's like, wait a minute, I don't want to be the blind guy. I don't, I don't want to be dependent on other people to take care of my every need in life. That just kind of goes, you know, against the grain of how most of us are cut, doesn't it? Yes. No? Yes. You like being needy? Okay. I've been the needy guy around the office, like, for <laughs> six weeks now. And, and I, I keep apologizing for it because I hate being needy. I hate somebody else having to pick up the slack for me. So maybe that's just me, and you don't need that particular message, so let me just move on a little bit. It just doesn't sound blessed to me to, to be poor like Jesus is talking about it here. But the in spirit has to mean something for us. It has to mean something for Jesus, otherwise Jesus is just not making sense. And so Jesus now digs back into their history and to their heritage a little bit. Remember this morning I talked about how they would have heard the word blessed, right? On that hillside, and they hear that, and they go backwards because the Roman soldiers are there, and they don't feel blessed at all. And so they, they hear this, and in the, in the, in the, it just resonates as a group of people who look forward for some kind of hope in the future. That's where their blessing lies. But they've missed what Jesus has announced to that point. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, he said. I, I'm here, and he's going through... Everywhere talking about that. So the Sermon on the Mount is going to begin. Remember, this is an introduction. And so the Sermon on the Mount is going to be on the Mount is going to begin to flesh that out for them. And in this this one little phrase, blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus taps in to Isaiah. And the message of Isaiah to a group of people who were the diaspora, who were the exiled ones, who, who couldn't see evidence of God's handiwork on their behalf anymore because they've been left. And not only is he referring to those who were left behind, they were the ones who were left when they took all of the good people away. 
Remember the Daniel thing and all of that stuff? These people that are left behind, they have nothing. There's a term that's used there that ties in with what Jesus is talking about, a Hebrew term going backwards. These are the people, according to that term, who are destitute. They are nothing. It's not that they have nothing. They are nothing. Powerless, broken down, oppressed, afflicted. These are the nobodies of the nobody crew. Who are those people in our days? Who are the nobodies of the nobodies in our day? The poor. Let me tell you about a story I heard yesterday. Actually, I knew part of the story because I lived part of the story. I got a phone call yesterday from uh, one of the guys in the church I used to serve. Uh, they're still digging out from floods. It's a horrible situation. He sent me pictures of a friend of mine's house. Now, I need to tell you about Mike. Mike is uh, about probably 60 years old. Three, three and a half years ago, his wife decided she would go for a newer model. And so she abandoned him and cleaned his bank accounts out. And uh, within six months after that started and all the legal stuff going with that, Mike found out that he had cancer, stage three cancer in his throat. Um, I took him to MD Anderson. That's one of the benefits of living in East Texas is you're close to a cancer center that's uh, world-renowned. And so uh, one day he called. He didn't have anything. He had nothing except the house that was left. And uh, he needed a ride to have his cancer treatment, and he couldn't find anybody to take him over there. And, and so in just a casual conversation, he told me, I'm just going to cancel it, and I'll, I'll try to go some other time. I said, no, you won't. And so we got in the car and we drove. I drove him over there. So all the way over there and all the way back, I'm talking to him. I'm walking with him through the halls of that hospital. There's a lot of broken down people. And so this phone call yesterday, the guy told me that Mike's house had 11 feet of water in it. All he had left. All he had left was his house. 11 feet of water. He sent me pictures. Uh, I'll show you if you want to see some of them just to get a picture of, uh, in your head of how devastating it is for some of those people. Water was so high, like it's in here. I don't know how high these ceilings are. 11 feet. The water was so high that it soaked the ceiling. And so that began to let loose, and so it just fell down. And you, we have pictures. It's just, it's just horrible. Mike has nothing. And my friend told me that Mike came walking into the distribution center that is that church now. And they people started rallying to him, saying, hey, how you doing? You know, feeling good? You know, all of those kind of things. And they said, we're going to go clean your house out. He said, don't bother. It's, it, it, there's no, no sense in doing that. They said, okay, so what do you need? Here's what he said. I need a plate and a cup and a knife and a spoon and a fork. That's all, that's all I need. That's destitute. I don't, even, I don't even comprehend being in that level of need. Of course, we got people who live all over here who are needy, right? I mean, that's just part of the world in which we live. It's certainly part of downtown El Paso. That's part of what's surrounding us. Now, we need to make this distinction. I know I'm about out of time, so I'm trying to land the plane here. 
We have to make the distinction. Jesus is not saying you are congratulated for being broke. Okay? There's no spiritual um, extra credit for having no money. Okay? There's not. He says, congratulations to the poor in spirit. But he dips into that Old Testament time of the exile with those people who are left over who are nothing, who have nothing, and have no hope left. Their life is just there. He says, congratulations to them. Now, why are they to be congratulated? This is the first step of the stairway, right? The only thing that causes them to be worthy of being congratulated is they have finally reached the point that many people who have substance never get to. That is the point where they recognize, I don't have anything. I have, I'll put it this way. There's an old hymn, and maybe Elvin knows, I don't know, I don't know the background on it, but... uh, I heard this quoted by Richard Jackson one time. He was pastor at North Phoenix Baptist Church. He was the one who was preaching when God called me out of youth ministry into pastoring. Uh, and in that sermon, I remember you said, he quoted this old hymn, and it begins this way. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to your cross I cling. Poor in spirit. That's that point of reference that says, I don't have anything. I like what one professor wrote about this and I'm just going to read it because I think he says it better than I could if I tried to summarize it so listen it's four or five lines long Uh, this natural spirit of man that each of us has I guess I should probably preempt that by saying uh, here's where we get in problems with ourselves as I said Wednesday night when we were talking about you know praying with Jesus and the, the prayer that says your kingdom come Part of what I emphasized with that was every morning we have to wake up and we have to make the decision who's going to be king today. And most of the time, I'm king in my life. And you're king in your life. Okay? I love you and all of that, but that's the sin nature of us. I will be in control. I will call the shots. And I will run up. Well, maybe not run over. I'll maneuver if somebody tries to take that kingship away from me. But the reality is only Jesus can be king. Only Jesus can be king. And so, with that in mind, that natural part of us, here's what Dr. Balt says, it attempts, that natural spirit of man attempts to drive to what lies beyond it. It reaches up to what is higher. It attempts to scale the heights. And when it is taken to its logical conclusion, it demands that God relinquish the throne so that it can sit there in his place. This first beatitude is intended to formulate the condition for entrance into God's kingdom And the only condition that it mentions is that we must acknowledge the fact that we are spiritually bankrupt. Congratulations, you're broke. That's the picture that Jesus gives us here. The way into the kingdom of heaven is that you have to reach a point that you realize, I can't get there. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. I can't do enough stuff. I can't give enough money. I can't, I, I can't do that. I am spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says, congratulations. You made it in. You with me? Yes. So here's the bad news. You're going to have to live at this level 
<laughs> because you're going to start making progress, and we'll get two or three of these steps in, and then you're going to go, man, I'm doing good. And Jesus go, whoops, back to the beginning. <laughs> that's, this is a process. I, I, I've talked about that, right? So a lot of things I've been preaching now I hope will start coming together for you. This is a process. This whole thing about becoming like Jesus is a process, and the first step, always the first step is, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I am nothing if it weren't for Jesus. So with that in mind, let me just drop this. And I'm not sure where we are in the preparation part of this. Uh, but one of the things that I want to do with these uh, studies that we're doing here is I want to help you live them through the week. Right? Because I want you to feel really bad all week long about it. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding about that. It'll get better. Um, so uh, one of the things that I've done, actually I did this a number of years ago. Um, at some point I'll tell you how I came to this whole study. But uh, uh, I have daily Bible readings where we have selected scripture texts that get to this truth. Okay. And so those are available to you. I can, we can either, where are we on that? We can, I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But we're, I have them printed out. I can make copies of you and email them to you. That would be the easiest thing. So uh, why don't you, if you want those, then you can flood my email box tonight if you want to do that. And we'll send them out in the morning. We can put them on our website. There's a number of different things that we can do, okay? But I have one little passage a day. It's not pages and pages, right? I'm one of those it's to me a personal Bible study is not how much ground you cover; it's how much the ground covers you, right? And so these are just little snippets, one little passage of scripture. And if you'll use those and let them become triggers for your prayer life that day, you may find that you get a little uncomfortable through the course of the week because you really are. As much as I love you, and I want to just tell you good stuff, we have to start at the point of saying none of us are good. I made a comment to a friend of mine one time. He did something I thought was good. I said, man, you're a good man. He said, no, I'm not. I'm just like you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> then he finished. He said, I'm a sinner in need of grace, just like you. That's right. Okay? So if you want those passages of Scripture, either send me an email, mrotrammell at fbcep.com, or you can call the church office, uh, or uh, you can... Maybe look on the website. We'll figure out a way to get it. We'll let you know. Okay? okay. All right. Let's pray. We'll let you go. We have kids to get some of them. Somebody want to volunteer to lead us? Pray us home, Pastor. All right. <laughs> Lord, what a great privilege it is to come and gather around your word together and let your spirit just uh, probe us. We thank you for the truth of this. It is extremely uncomfortable for us to look at ourselves and have to come to the point of acknowledging that we really do not have it as together as we think we do sometimes. But I thank you for the promise of this, and I thank you for the spirit in which your son put it out there for us. This is not the final step. This is the first step. And we step from this into the very kingdom of heaven, with all of the rights and privileges that come with being your children. And so my prayer is that you would help us to own this step. And that you would help us, each of us, to be poor in spirit. 
Not because we try to be, but because we allow your spirit to do work on us every moment of every day so that you might be glorified in us. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you for this church and the opportunity that we have to gather together. Send us out in your love and your grace is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.